This week, we consider how consumers react to life at home, evenings in restaurants, a thirst to find meaning in what they're consuming, and how that all contributes to a relentlessly growing and global online market for wine. In this edition of Commerce Code, New Wineskins, with Russ Mann, the CEO of WineBid. Dan Carell here in Minneapolis, and this is Commerce Code brought to you by DCA, the Digital Commerce Alliance. Thanks for joining us for 15 minutes of insight into the evolving world of digital commerce. News this week continues to be dominated by some familiar old stories alongside others that would have been incomprehensible just two years ago. Rapid growth and talk of the Fed raising rates. Cargo piling up at California ports while some ships cross the Pacific empty. Continuing innovation in the rideshare and delivery markets as we approach the holiday season. Uber is putting on a big push to deliver pumpkins for Halloween. And cryptocurrency miners are looking for eco-friendly power sources or maybe just nuclear power while trading in their product looks like it might have been banned in China. This is a heady mix of stuff from your old Economics 101 class with brand new storylines that no economics professor could have imagined before they happened. For example, Dogecoin has had some coverage lately. Dogecoin is a cryptocurrency launched as a joke. And if I'm following this correctly, and let's be clear, I'm not at all confident that I am. Well, the Dogecoin idea was picked up by several players other than the founders. And it now somehow has a market capitalization of perhaps $85 billion, at least in part because Elon Musk has made several references to it on his Twitter account. Okay. Well, one of the most and though perhaps least surprising things about that story is that Elon Musk still has a Twitter account, but a joke currency. And admittedly, there's a very cute dog on it. It's much cuter, actually, than the guys we have on American coins anyway. It's worth $85 billion. The problem seems to be that the inventors, having created it as a joke, didn't put a lot of effort into locking down the intellectual property. Enter lawyers. I found that I need to consume this kind of news in moderation, or else I'll wake up the next day with a very foggy head and an inability to find the Advil. The best tonic for that is to get back to news that I can understand. Something that's been around a little longer than Dogecoin, maybe even something you can see and touch, or in this case, to drink. That would be wine. Dr. Pepper was invented in 1885, claims to be the oldest continuing soft drink in America. Coke was a Johnny-come-lately in 1892. The oldest known winery, yet found by archaeologists, was carbon dated to 6,100 years ago. It's in a cave in Armenia. But nothing is untouched by digital commerce, and few product categories have grown as reliably as the global wine market in recent decades. In the years to 2019, the global wine market grew from 260 to $380 billion and it's projected to hit $520 billion in 2025. That's half a trillion dollars. As for old Dr. Pepper, you could say he's still in the lead, but only by a bit. The global market for carbonated beverages is $450 billion right now and projected to stay just ahead of wine over the coming decade. Well, today on the show, we'll learn more about the past, present, and future of online wine sales by speaking with Russ Mann, the CEO of WineBid.com and an executive and entrepreneur with decades of experience in digital marketing and sales. We'll talk about what drives digital commerce and how Russ is thinking about consumer behavior into the holiday season. But I know some of us are also looking forward to learning a little more about wine, too. I'm untrained for this job, but I'm excited about it. So I've declared myself your podcast sommelier for the day. I've got a crisp white linen over my forearm, and I am ready to dive in. 
Russ, it is a pleasure to have you with us today. Where are you joining us from? Hey, Dan, thanks so much for having me. I'm joining you from Seattle, Washington. We got some super interesting things to talk about. So let me just dive right in. So as we sit at the end of September right now, we probably have more uncertainty about the coming holiday season than we'd like in-person versus online shopping. We know those are different experiences. And I'd love to get your point of view on how that difference plays out depending on the type of merchant. So what are the ways that people buy wine differently online versus the way that they might buy it in the local wine shop? That's a really great question. So wine is truly meant to be shared and to have an experience. It's more than just the grape juice in the bottle. It's really the experience of finding it, buying it, and sharing it. And so traditionally, as you mentioned, offline purchases of wine, the traditional brick and mortar, they've really been guided by the winemaker, the wine merchant, or the critic, and their ability to describe the wine and its story and to recommend something really unique to the personal tastes of the person they're, they're addressing. And so modern online shoppers still want the great experience. They still want the stories. They still want the images, but they also want great value. And they especially want convenience. They want convenience in delivery of the wine, uh, receiving it to their home or to wherever their wine storage. And they also want convenience in payment. And then finally, they also want the same kind of personal recommendations that they might get from the winemaker or the wine merchant that can now be delivered by people or also by artificial intelligence and, and other forms of recommendation engines. Online wine in general, and I believe WineBid in particular, are truly poised to take advantage of the growth and the familiarity that that modern consumers are finding when moving into this food and beverage, wine and spirits category online. Let's let's pivot to payments because there's there's so many dimensions to this. What trends have you seen in payments in particular that have been important either in generally in food and beverage or maybe more specifically in wine and spirits and, and luxury products? Online, at WineBid in particular, customers have already gotten used to using their credit cards, their requests for other forms of peer-to-peer based type systems like PayPal. And we've seen requests and uh, are starting to look at experimenting with payment by Zelle, which uh, I know Bank of America uses, Venmo, Amazon Pay and others are becoming more, more used, sometimes more requested. Being in the luxury category where customers can sometimes spend $10,000 on a single item or $100,000 in a single purchase or a basket, we see a reasonable amount of ACH and wires. We would love to see more innovation in that space, more convenience as we talked about, particularly for our, for our global clientele. And speaking, of course, of our global clientele, we're very strong in Asia. We have a lot of buyers in Hong Kong, China, Japan, Singapore, Korea, and we're starting to see a lot of demand for WeChat Pay, Alipay, and some of the other systems that are that are more popular in Asia. And I know you had another speaker recently was talking about NFTs and cryptocurrency. You might be surprised or possibly not to hear that people have started to ask if they could pay for their wine that they win on WineBid with crypto. So there's been a lot of innovation in payments and online payments with the rise of e-commerce over the past 25 years. WineBid has been around 25 years. We've grown our business with innovation and we expect to see a lot of innovation in online payments and the kinds of things consumers are requesting and that WineBid will hopefully be able to offer to our global consumer set. Russ, we've been talking about payments and transactions, stores of value, all of this stuff. Is vintage wine itself a good store of value and maybe even a payment mechanism? We actually get asked this a lot. Folks have talked about creating wine hedge funds, and unfortunately, some of those have ended not so spectacularly. And more recently, people have talked about turning wine into NFTs for investment for trading and for payments. Unfortunately, more like commodities and less like currencies or digital payments, wine has storage costs, 
why it has handling costs, why it has regulatory and licensing issues, and why it has higher sell and buy transaction fees that really don't make it a great store of value and don't make it a great payment mechanism. As much as we would love to tout that, I really can't honestly say that that would be the case. I know some people can make really great money buying specific wines and holding them for 20 years and then selling them for even more. Just like there's great watch collectors, automobile collectors, stamp collectors, and some people trade these for money. Wine is great for collecting. Some people can make a lot of money buying and selling and trading it privately. But we at WineBid believe that wine is better meant to be collected and then consumed and shared as part of a great experience with friends, family, business associates. And we'd rather leave the financial tractions and the movement of money to all the great innovators here at part of the Digital Commerce Alliance. I couldn't agree with you more on the consumption part and the collection part. Companies had such unusual experiences during the pandemic and, and you know, the story's not over yet. But did you see a decrease in sales or did you see an increase maybe because consumers were buying more wine during quarantine? This year happens to be WineBid's 25th anniversary. And I can tell you that we have never seen so much growth and so much new consumer interest as we did in the past year during the pandemic. We saw this increase in new customers buying wine online from two key factors. One was the pandemic, which kept people from traveling. And so instead of spending on ten dollars to $20,000 for a great trip to Europe, where they might go wine tasting or doing other things, they would spend one to $2,000 for some great European wines and a nice dinner at home to share with friends. I think even more broadly, and even more than the pandemic, we've seen the acceleration of what some people have called the lift and shift. People were still buying all of their food and beverage at the grocery store and other places. Unlike other categories like consumer electronics, fashion, books, toys, sporting goods, other products. So in a $325 billion category, which is wine, it was stated that only about $10 billion or 3% was bought online pre-pandemic. We believe last year there was about 5 to $7 billion spent online. By 2025 and possibly sooner, over $30 billion of wine should be sold online. So the pandemic basically accelerated e-commerce and online purchasing where food and beverage has a long way to go to catch up with other categories. That's really interesting and, and huge opportunities for growth. As you're thinking about the coming holiday season, I'd be curious, I guess, to get your thoughts on that. Do you think there'll be another bump up online? Do you think it's going to be different than 2020? Absolutely. Well, we think, number one, the diversity and the inclusion of all different kinds of sellers, of all different kinds of wine products to all different kinds of consumers accelerated last year during the pandemic and will continue to have an impact this year. I think on top of that, we've seen a lot of interesting dynamics this year with the rollout of the vaccines. And then also, unfortunately, some of the variants, the Delta variant, the other variants we've seen. So during this year, as more people got vaccinated, we saw more people travel. And when people are traveling, they tend to be drinking more wine in restaurants or in bars. And so when they're doing that, they tend to be buying less wine for consuming at home. And also because we're a marketplace, the sellers aren't at home to sell their wine and to put their collections up for sale. They're out traveling as well. So we think that with the pent up demand for global travel, as well as the seasonal changes, we saw a little more volatility in the marketplace than we might have now that it's back to to the traditional post-Labor Day, back to school. And unfortunately, with the variants raising some concerns and we're seeing some travel tamper down, we're seeing another acceleration of people wanting to sell wine and buy wine online through WineBid and in the global wine trade in general. So for this year, what we believe is that the acceleration that we talked about earlier of more people buying more diverse wines online and more sellers wanting to bring those wines to market, we expect to see that continue in the very mid to high double digits this holiday season and beyond. What bottle do you have that someday you will open and you're really looking forward to it? 
I mentioned that this is WineBib's 25th anniversary. So wine is often obviously associated with vintages. While collectors love to collect great vintages of production and great producers, many people, of course, love to buy and gift and share certain wine vintages that are personalized to the recipient. So while it's WineBit's 25th anniversary, this also happens to be my wife's 40th. And so at the beginning of the year, we opened up a 1981, of course, 40 years ago, 1981 Mouton, Chateau Mouton. And during the year, uh, we have been opening 1981 vintage all through the year. And we've been having fun learning about and tasting different wines from different regions. So I actually was able to procure one other 1981 Mouton that we'll be drinking at the end of the year. So we opened up the year, we'll be ending the year both with the 1981 Mouton, which is one of my favorite producers. Of course, everybody's vintage is always a great vintage and there's a buyer for every bottle and a great bottle of wine for every birth year that someone might've been born in. So that's the wine that I have in my cellar that I'm looking forward to drinking later this year, celebrating my wife's 40th celebrating WineBid's 25th and WineBid's continued growth. I think you've just given a lot of people, uh, very much including myself, some really good ideas for anniversary gifts, birthday gifts. You know, when you've run out of ideas, uh, I'm no longer out of ideas, Russ. Really fun to unpack some of these things, both on the commercial side, but just the product itself. It's exciting to people and fun, whether it's people that are collectors or people that just appreciate the cultural significance of some of it or people that just love to drink this stuff. Great product and such an exciting time for you uh, with the growth and opportunity in the marketplace. I appreciate that, Dan. Thanks for having us on today. And uh, we hope everybody can be hopefully opening some great champagne this winter with family and friends safely and in good health. Great. Thanks so much. About 15 years ago, my boss gave me a bottle of 2002 Dom Perignon. He said I should open it when I'd done something that really mattered. We were younger, maybe a little more ambitious, possibly slightly less jaded at the time. So in my mind, I set a pretty high bar for when that bottle would be opened. It's still on the shelf. It's quite valuable to me. That bottle is a reminder that whatever I did or didn't get done this week or this year, there's something around the corner, something big. There has to be, because that bottle is still there. There's a lot of stuff in our house. Unless you are Marie Kondo herself, there's probably too much stuff in your house too. A visitor from Mars could look at all of our stuff and think, yeah, these people really love stuff. I'm not sure how much we really do. If there was a fire in the house and my wife and children and both dogs and the tortoise, yes, there's a tortoise. If they were all standing safely on the sidewalk and I was at the threshold of the front door with just enough time to grab one more thing, what would I grab? We used to have this fireproof safe that I put important documents in. Now that stuff is all imaged and sitting in the cloud along with the rest of the world's information. All the books in our house would make the fire hotter for sure, but um, they're also all available on Amazon. So what would I grab that can't be replaced? If I thought I could get find it in time, I'd probably go after the kids' baptismal gowns because my mom made those by hand. But I might just go around the corner from the front door and grab that bottle of Dom Perignon. Obviously, Russ and his team could help me quickly put my hands on another bottle of 2002 Dom, but that's not the point. And that's why they're in business. Wine is about what it means to people. You might say, well, my business is more boring than wine. I would say not so fast. We titled this podcast New Wineskins because online wine trading is a pretty new thing for a product line that's at least 6,100 years old. But it's also a reminder that our simple day-to-day -day stuff can be the stuff that becomes most profound. Wineskins were basically the cardboard wine boxes of their day. They were just day-to-day -day stuff. But they became an important literary device, an important idea 
about how the world works. So what does your company do that's simple, that's just day-to-day, but it has real meaning to people? How is your work a part of the fabric of how people live? That meaning is where the power is in your business. And it's probably the North Star that will help you navigate when visibility is low. To find out more about the latest trends in digital commerce and digital advertising, check out our website, www.digcomall.org. That's www.digcomall.org. For the Digital Commerce Alliance, take care of yourself, take care of each other. God bless you. This is Dan Carell, signing off. Thank you.